You're listening to The Public Discourse, a podcast by the Baha'i Community of Canada's Office of Public Affairs. This is the third episode of our mini-series, Resilience in the Face of Adversity, where we ask how the coronavirus health crisis reveals insight about the values that bind us together. This episode features Laura Friedman in conversation with Anna Serrano, who leads the Democracy Exchange Summit and is the incoming president and vice-chancellor of the Ontario College of Art and Design, and Shabnam Tashakur, a senior officer in the Baha'i Faith serving on the Continental Board of Councillors for the Americas. They are talking about the ways in which community life can strengthen resilience and empower people towards constructive action. Hi, Anna and Shabnam. It is so great to have you here with us for this episode of The Public Discourse. And our topic today is around the value of community. But first, I was wondering if you could start by maybe introducing yourselves and sharing a little bit about your background with us. Sure. Well, thank you so much. And it's a pleasure being here with you both. Um, uh, my first time, I believe, in this in this program. My name is Anna Serrano, and I wear a number of different hats. So some people know me as Anna Serrano, as the co-chair of um, Open Democracy Project, and also co-director of the Democracy Exchange Summit. So in that particular community, it's all about uh, the folks who are part of the emerging um, democracy sector. And then I will soon be joining a new community as I head into my role as president and vice chancellor at OCAD University. And so that community is going to be filled with students and faculty and um, stakeholders associated in higher ed. So that's my professional me. <laughs> but personally, I'm also a first generation immigrant, Filipino Canadian, very much um, identify as someone who belongs to that type of hybrid uh, community of women of color, as well as first generation, but highly, decidedly Canadian in, in the way I grew up which I'm sure a lot of your uh, audience members can also relate to. And I'm a mother. <laughs> Wonderful. I love that you bring all of these diverse experiences and knowledge, and it's really great to have you here. So thank you. And Shabnam? My name is Shabnam Tashakor, and um, by profession, I have been working in community development, and I'm also a teacher. I have two young children, two boys, and um, like Anna, I came to Canada uh, when I was young, uh, fleeing persecution of the Baha'is in Iran and have made my home here happily. And I am a senior officer in the Baha'i faith, serving on the Continental Board of Counselors for the Americas. And I work with um, Baha'i institutions and communities, particularly more closely in Canada. Um, assisting them with their efforts in um, their educational efforts, their efforts around community building, social action, and social and economic development. You know, in this pandemic, people are spending most of their time close to their homes and taking care to limit physical contact with others. And I don't know if you've noticed, but if you take a walk down the street, you might notice signs in the windows and on the sidewalk uh, these chalk messages with people saying, we're all in this together, you see these beautiful hearts. So families with children sharing artwork so that the neighbors can see and kind of feel hopeful. And we're starting to see how these relationships are an essential part of our social fabric. 
But then in this situation also comes a lot of tests, tests that occur because of separation, difficulties that arise from being in the same space day in and day out together. And I was wondering if you could uh, share your thoughts about what does resilience look like at a moment like this? Is it about just getting through it and we can do this? Or is it about doing something deeper and more lasting that will allow us to transform ourselves individually and collectively? So what do you think about this? Well, I think the the thing that um, speaks to me in terms of resilience has to do with the fact that it may be our nature. <laughs> so, um, you know, when we think of resilience, and it's it's not so much that when we think of resilience, I think it's more like, Our culture mm -hmm. is so performative mm. in terms of we're constantly driven to uh, be something or to excel at something or to produce something or to perform something. And so what's happened is the kind of concepts which maybe, you know, a hundred years ago were seen as just the state of nature, if you will, or the state of what it means to be are seen now as things to strive for. So I think resilience is one of those things, you know, and so we learn things like we need to develop our grit, we need to build resilience, we need to, mm -hmm. even the language, the epidemiological language feels like I need to build my immunity, you know, like there's all mm -hmm. these things as so somehow you can, you can grab at them, as opposed to be them. And um, I think what's interesting about the notion of resilience today, without uh, discounting the challenges that certainly some people have, you know, like there's, it's it, it, not everyone is privileged enough to have a home during this crisis and to have food and to have supportive families that they're with, okay? Some people definitely have in, immense challenges. Um, but what's interesting is I think, uh, you know, despite that or in spite that or not counting that, it's clear that we're more able to adapt than not. That we're actually able to see how we are at perhaps, you know, more resilient internally or, or, or naturally than we might think we are. And I think there's something to be celebrated around um, that notion of resilience as something to let unfold in ourselves as opposed to resilience as something to strive for from from an external kind of understanding of it i don't know if that makes sense to you yeah very much and sometimes just being quiet helps you do that so you're you're you create this cadence of um a more limited sense of life and then you start to realize you maybe you start mm -hmm. to notice more Yeah, when you're saying all this, I keep thinking of this moment in time being an opportunity to look inward and take care of these personal processes that happen within us. But then we also have the community outside. And um, I was thinking how, Shabnam, you are working uh, with communities and you are working with Baha'is across the country. You're helping them strengthen their patterns of community building within this context, right? Within the context of a crisis. And it's impossible for many of them to meet in person. So that's had an impact, right? So how are you seeing people in these communities adapt constructively to these new circumstances? 
Um, I think one level of response of the Baha'i community has been focused on the health and the well-being of all the communities to which they belong to. Um, and in in neighborhoods across the country, we've had a community building process that has engaged people of all backgrounds and religions, of cultures, nations, that that is the wealth of strength that is in this country. Um, and seeing all as protagonists in a community building process. So some efforts to raise consciousness and awareness of knowledge that could protect everyone uh, in this pandemic has been drawing on the talents of the community um, in their own voices, in their own languages, and then and also of young people being at the forefront of that, and then using creative means. And then also another area of focus has been how a community can be a source of hope and inspiration. And one example that I heard that was very moving was in an indigenous community in northern BC, um, some of the families, as, as cases were being discovered in the community, started to offer prayers over the phone, with one another and then out of that environment came conversations about the health and the well-being of the community and another aspect of the effort has been to uh, learn about how we use technology to create connection between people how we use technology to elevate thought how we use technology as a means of um, connection and education the use of music, creation of beautiful videos that inspire and uplift, the use of storytelling, uh, infinite forms that it's taking across the country at the level of the grassroots and also of, of uh, artists by profession. So that's one of the things that the, the educational efforts of the Baha'i community really foster the development of the arts at the grassroots. And that... Um, that in a way it's seen that the arts release channels of, of spiritual forces that uplift others. And then at another level, um, there have been a lot of efforts made at this time to lend support to the education of the young, content and materials for parents to use to help children at this time, to have confidence and assurance and a lot of the efforts, you know, of, of young people who have been nurturing children and um, younger youth, uh, 11 to 14 year olds, to ensure that they have homework help at this time when education has been disrupted, but then also that they have access to conversations about that are elevating, that inspire them to serve their communities like a lot of young people at this age especially we're finding across the country 11 to 14 year olds are being consumed by social media and um, spending all night on social media and then sleeping during the day so to actually mobilize and work with families and the community to help that that age group to engage in meaningful conversations about service to their communities, about the need to foster and build a schedule in a daily life that tends to our physical needs, our, um, stimulating us intellectually and also spiritually to cultivate qualities, but also to serve our communities. And it's taken several weeks to figure some of those things out, but the efforts are strengthening, which is really wonderful. Mm -hmm. It seems that you're alluding to 
kind of like we're entering a new space, maybe it's unknown, but a new way of thinking or a new way of being that is born out of this crisis. And there's been all this talk of when things go back to quote unquote normal, are we going to go back to how it used to be or is it going to be different? But we're also going to be changed by the crisis. So Anna, I was wondering, how do you think that we are adapting to this? And what is going to last as we emerge from this pandemic? I think if we figure out a way to pay attention, then I think we can see how there's in in the next iteration of our society, there may be a lot of things that we thought were valuable, that we thought were need we needed and we thought that mattered and that we put our in, invested all of our efforts into are actually not important as important anymore. And that a new set of values are emerging that we are realizing have much more material importance to us. So if we pay attention to our current state now, those insights might come. And so my hope and my dream is that's what people are doing. And that through conversations like this, we 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 surface these insights that 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 we're finding as we pay attention to our existence today and figure out, oh, you know what? You know, this is actually what matters. You know, art and culture. The fact that we live through this pandemic and the one thing that binds us all together is hearing um, people sing and seeing how, you know, art helps us um, get through and allows us to express those bottled up feelings that we haven't found expression for, but that's how we find a way to share that with others, right? So that's one, that's one idea. But there's many more of those things. And I think if we can figure out what those things are and say, well, this is actually what matters, then we can build a society perhaps that's more attuned to building the whole self. Um, like you've said, Shabnam, that looks at the, both the material society as well as, as the spiritual dimension of that society. Thank you. I, I like this idea of paying attention. And certainly for me, these kind of conversations have been incredibly helpful at this time. You know, I miss walking down the street or going wherever I was going to connect with people to have these kind of conversations. And I wanted to go back to this thing of resilience, Shabnam. I was wondering your thoughts on how important is the local communities in helping to create resilience in the face of this current challenge? I think that this concept that an individual can't be separated from its environment is, is one to consider that we really are not designed to be solitary and alone. And every uh, all of the change in an inner being of a person is a result of its environment. And, it, and then the condition of a person interacts with its environment. And I think that one thing that maybe is helpful to think about when we think about community is this idea that a community is not just a sum of individuals put together. Like a way to think of a community is as an organic whole, like the human body is made up of cells, but that the individual cells, like they can't function actually outside of the whole. They, There is an inherent interconnectedness. And in a way that I think because of the consumeristic culture and society that we have, this conception of an individual as sovereign and separate from everyone that is preoccupied with just meeting its own needs has been really, it's strengthened. 
I think that's not our nature. Um, our nature is that we have a relationship with the, the human family that we're part of in our neighborhoods, in our societies, in the world. We're one. And actually, but then when we think about like the local community takes great importance because in a way, I think we we live in a time when humanity, there are forces at work that are moving uh, uh, humanity towards its oneness and towards unity, which is a very long-term process. But that that process has to build, like begin with a capacity-building process in smaller settings where people are in community with one another. Like it's not, a community cannot be strengthened by just a few leaders or by just a few families leading or the, the nuclear family with one head of a household or just these conceptions that have been, they're not fitting to a time in which we live where humanity is in a long-term process of maturation just as like in an individual life you go through stages of childhood, adolescence, and adulthood, and you take on more habits of an adult. And we're having to learn, like, what does a community look like? Like, we can walk in a neighborhood and we could say that we could read it completely from a materialistic lens. We could say neighborhood has poverty. It has this. It has that. And Or we can come and see, okay, look at the relationships that are among people. Look at the degree to which they rely on one another and help one another in various ways. Look at the small businesses that are carried out and how people reinforce and support one another. And these are things that we look with spiritual perception that beyond just material conditions and then... And also to think, okay, now how do we from that, from knowing the reality of our neighborhoods work to see potential in everyone, collaborate with our institutions, collaborate with families, and reflect on how, how do we construct a community where everyone is a protagonist and everyone has a role, and we trust that, uh, that we can actually grow and develop. Well, it's funny because I think it's, it's, it's an odd time because... Of course, the local community is important, but like, so I'll just speak on for me. I know my neighbors, um, but I feel weird knocking on their door at this time. Yeah. Right. Do you know what I mean? Because <laughs> yes. you're not supposed yeah. to. <laughs> so, so one, so one of the things that I'm really like wish, like, and I'm, I, and I'm an anti-surveillance technology type person. You know, I'm, I'm very wary of. Um, the use of digital technologies to help support uh, policy and um, and uh, government-based type of uh, public policy initiatives right. without any kind of attention paid to privacy and security, mm-hmm. right? But at this time, but having said that, I'm like, man, I wish I just knew everyone's cell phone numbers because yes. I wouldn't mind like yes. I wouldn't mind like knowing how everyone's doing around me because I don't feel like I can knock on their doors. So it's that type of uh, so it's a very interesting time because um, I think we all in the same way that we need to rethink about how we live, um, we might need to rethink about how we think about enabling technologies and the fact that there are actually uses for it in terms of digital infrastructure that if we could just get the 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 ethical frameworks correct it could really help support 
some of this uh, type of community building that we want to do, while at the same time paying attention to the sort of the unintended consequences that can be that can be quite fraught when you deploy technologies like that willy nilly, you know. So so that's something that I'm also deeply involved in thinking about in terms of like how do we do this? Like how do we make sure that we can actually deploy the tools that as a society we've been smart enough to build, but but properly, you know? So Anna, this is a great segue to my next question for you because I know that you have done a lot of work on processes to strengthen democracy. So mm -hmm. I was wondering if you could share your thoughts on how we can retain this participatory aspect of democracy as we work through this. So what, what is your vision of democracy coming out of this crisis? Well, I think it's exactly what Shabnan talked about, actually, which is like a more integrated um, uh, approach to how individuals, communities, and institutions work together. But some of the, the things that may be under the purview of certain regions, like the provincial, so testing, for example, from, you know, in the case of the provinces, um, they have control over how people get tested, how many, where and how and when. But the um, ramifications of either no testing or lots of testing play out at the municipal level and at a community level. So to what extent do communities have a role to play in trying to maintain the safety of the members of the community, right? And um, certainly they're deploying technologies to try to figure out how to test, track, and then isolate and quarantine, right? And so some of those technologies are, you know, are they going to be downloaded to communities and then all of a sudden communities are forced to um, be surveilled in ways that they might not want to. I mean, a good example of this is the snitch line that was also created where if you're, you know, if you're seen not socially distancing, then other people can call. So there are all these um, um, issues raised by this pandemic that call attention to um, the shared responsibilities of different players in a democracy and how we may not have a handle on exactly what those roles and responsibilities might be. And so hopefully something like this can help us iron out some of those issues. Hmm. And if, if you don't mind adding to that, what do you think is the role of the arts in all of this? Well, I think it's not just the role of the arts, but I think where value resides, right? And so... Um, and it's not just value. So this, what this pandemic has brought on is an existential crisis for everyone, you know? So who are we? What do we care about? What do we value? Why are we here? Are we just, are we just like, you know, biological specimens and, and um, species to grow into large populations and get decimated the same way that other species grew into large populations and got decimated, you know? So it really calls into attention the, the, the smallness of humanity in relation to the much broader universal picture, yeah, planetary universal picture. So then the question becomes, are we building the civilizations that we have in such a way to put emphasis on um, the, the things that, we, that matter the most to us? And, um, and I think that's what we need to be thinking through as we look through policy responses 
long-term policy responses to this pandemic is how do we start to create a new social contract between um, citizens, each other, and their governments so that we start to place value and efforts into those things that matter the most. Mm. So you, you touched on this idea of values, and both of you actually did. So maybe I'll just ask you both. We've mentioned a few. There's the sacrificing for the good of others, service, maybe even patience in the face of challenges, just becoming more conscious. So any other values that you think are important that will help us uh, advance collectively through this? I think humility is a big one. Like if no one comes out of this feeling humbled by this remarkable like incredible a virus, you know, like it's so tiny and yet it can fell societies. You know, we have to we have to stop being an ego-driven society. Right. Shabnam, do you have any other thoughts? Yeah, I think this this quality of service and putting the needs of others before ourselves is one that has maybe, you know, if we look in our societies in Canada, which, you know, as a combination of all of humanity brought into one place, uh, in Canadian culture, there has been this strain of selflessness, like from uh, uh, people caring for one another. And also many of the societies we come from, community is very strong. But then you come into a consumeristic society and it is really the individual and its needs that is put before all else. So I think we really have to reflect on that on that attribute. What is the kind of service that is conducive to the advancement of raising up a spiritual civilization, which in a way I think actually in the Baha'i conception of spiritual civilization, at the heart of it is the recognition of the oneness of humanity but that that's not just in the spirit of brotherhood between people. It has to actually begin to change the very structures of society, economic systems, the systems of governance, that that essential relationship is upheld at all times of oneness. Both of your comments are just getting me really excited about the possibility of, you know, reinventing ourselves at this time and recreating and trying new things. It's... um. It's nice to feel that in times where it's, it's very easy to feel the opposite. Uh, so in light of that, Shabnam or, or Anna, what is your hope, what you hope for that can come out of this? Well, I hope that we are humbled by this experience so much so um, that we take the time to really think through what matters to us as a society and to build towards that. You know, and um, and I'm hoping that what matters to us as a society is, um, you know, justice, quality, um, inclusivity, diversity, um, as well as all the other things like joy and, you know, renewed and reinvigorated purpose and things like that. Beautiful. Yeah. And just to build, I agree also that I think this is given an opportunity to open Um, some themes and collective discourse that has been missing for some time Mm -hmm. that really can, I think it holds promise for um, advancement and consciousness for humanity as a whole and for individuals and communities. So, and then also I think 
these values that you were talking about, Anna, like of international collective action that has been a powerful strain in public discourse around the world that was losing its, its sway because they'd been assailed by forces of racism, nationalism, factionalism. We ourselves also have to examine, like, where are these things coming from? What kind of world do we want to live in? How do we... How do these forces that are working towards the oneness of humanity and towards the peace and security of all advance? And not just a political peace, but a condition of relationships among people and essential relationships in society and in the structures of society that uphold the dignity of all and the unity of all. That's a great place to end. <laughs> Thank you so much, both of you, for being here. We really, really appreciate it. You have been listening to The Public Discourse, a podcast by the Baha'i Community of Canada's Office of Public Affairs. You can learn more about the Baha'i Faith at baha'i.ca and follow the work of our office at opa.baha'i.ca, where you will find links to our social media handles on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube.